Hello, everybody. Hello, lovely listeners. Hello, lovely Krista. Um, I am super excited to introduce you to a dear friend and the person who has been keeping me sane for the last, I just calculated, seven years, Krista St. Germain. She is, I mean, I'm actually going to let you introduce yourself and your brilliantness. And you're the person who's been keeping me sane. For the last same duration of time. So I'm Krista St. Germain. Um, I am a master certified coach. I am in love with grief and post-traumatic growth. And the reason I started doing what I do is because when I was 40, my husband died. We had only been married for a couple of months. And it was kind of like that second redemption story. My first marriage, as you well know, did not end so well. And Hugo was proof to me that you can be treated amazingly well and you know, I just felt like everything was at such a high in my life and, and I had so much to look forward to. And then we were on our way home from a trip we had taken together and, um, I had a flat tire and he wanted to change that tire and stubborn, stubborn male that he was, you know, baby, I'll just change the tire and we'll get done so much faster. And as he was trying to get access to the trunk so we could get the tire out a driver that we later found out had meth and alcohol in his system, just didn't see us and crashed into the back of his car and, uh, trapped him in between his car and mine. And so it went from like this big high in life to this huge low and having not really been through a grief experience before, I had so many misconceptions about what that was going to be like. And ultimately, I just reached this place where therapy wasn't so effective for me anymore. And I happened to find coaching at that time. And that was exactly what I needed because what was holding me back was that I didn't understand that my thoughts about my life were what, what was going to keep me stuck, right? I genuinely believed things like, you know, my best days are behind me and I should probably just be happy for the kids and, you know, I'll be okay, but I had my shot, you know, those kinds of thoughts and coaching helped me change that. Thankfully. Um, I also learned a whole lot of other things about feelings, which nobody had ever taught me before. And so ultimately I decided this is what I want to do. I want to help people. I don't want people to be experiencing the same misconceptions about grief that I did, right? I want them to have a better experience of it. So that's what I do. So specifically I work with widowed moms and I help them love life again, like really love it, not just settle for the mediocre that they they think is is available to them. Mm, thank you. It's yeah. sort of just so powerful, even though I know it so well, every time I hear it, I just get complete shivers. And I've just realized like for my audience, I mean, we're gonna title it appropriately, but you might just be like, wait, what is going on? Um, because also I just saw Krista's face because this is our usual time. We we coach each other every week and have done for seven years um, that we meet. And I forgot that like we're talking about time and grief. That's why I wanted to bring Krista on. If you are on my email list, and I only shared it to my email list, um, you will know that I recently experienced loss and Krista obviously coached me. And I was like, oh my God, everyone needs to hear your brilliance and I want to bring you on the podcast. And I think unfortunately a lot of times time um, is, you know, the, the, the conversation and the dialogue out there around time and grief and this idea that we're just supposed to sit and let time. <laughs> I mean, if you're, if you're seeing this on YouTube, you can see Krista's reaction <sighs> watching on YouTube. And if you're listening to the podcast, you can't, but she's shaking her head vigorously and um, yeah, I think this is one of the biggest things that keeps 
as trapped is thinking like it's just time and therefore I just have to wait and do nothing yeah. there's nothing I can do to make anything better today just as the days pass it will magically happen yeah it's like fingernails on a chalkboard to me I literally cannot stand it I mean it, wouldn't it be great if all that needed to happen was that time just needed to pass mm. I mean that would be so easy like we could just wait and then poof, like, but we know that we know that it's not that simple because if that's all it took, then everybody would be in the exact same place after a certain amount of time passed. But that's, that's not, that's not what happens. Right. So it's not to say like, okay, here's how I'll say it. Time doesn't actually do anything. Right. It's just a con construct of our brain anyway. And also like if we put you in a coma and time passed, you would wake up from that coma and be in the same place. So it's not just as simple as like the passage of time at all. Part of what's happening in, in grief is our brain needs to relearn. Mm -hmm. Our brain is a predicting machine. And when, when we have someone who is of deep importance to us, our brain encodes that. Our brain understands where they are at all times. Our brain understands or is very accurately able to predict when we will see them again, right? We know at least we think we do, our brain thinks it knows where that person is, when we'll see them again, how long it's going to take to get to them. It's used to them being where they are and doing what they do. And, and it has gathered that data over a long amount of time. So what's weird about grief is that sometimes what it's like is, is the lack of what we expect to be, what our brain has predicted over and over and over is true. And, and it doesn't happen anymore. So I like Mary Frances O'Connor. Um, she wrote a book called The Grieving Brain, and she compares it to bumping into your dining room table in the middle of the night, right? If you know where your dining room table is, and then in the middle of the night, you get up and you you walk into that space and you don't bump into the dining room table because someone stole it. It's very weird, right? Because your brain expects the dining room table to be there. And that's what we're going through in grief, where we expect that when you know we we pick up the phone and text that person, they're going to answer. We expect that when the garage door opens, they're going to come home. We expect that, you know, in the case of a spouse, if you put your hand where they normally sleep in the bed, that you will feel them and you don't. And so it's their absence that your brain doesn't understand. And the reason that that the passage of time is a part of healing is because your brain needs enough exposures to the new reality so that it will stop predicting that they will be there, mm -hmm. right? It will get, it will learn and update its ability to predict what is now accurate in your life. So yes, we do need time to pass for the brain to do that, but it's not because of time. It's because of what is, what the brain is doing and that it's relearning. Right. And also I see it so many times. It's so painful to me when people think, well, all I just, I just got to hold on, so hold on, get through the first year. Like there's something magical that we've been taught about the first year. And I was taught it too. And I can't even tell you how many people at Hugo's funeral said, just, just stay busy, dear. Just, just keep busy as though staying busy means somehow your feelings change and they don't. Right. They don't. And, and when you, when you believe that it is so painful to then kind of come out of that hole and realize, oh shit, like I still got all these feelings mm -hmm. and I didn't learn how to deal with them. Right. Mm -hmm. They will, they wait for you 100%. They wait for you. So yes, time does need to pass. So the brain can relearn, but also what we do with our time and how we learn to support ourselves and feel our feelings and, you know, think about our loss is also really, really important because the passage of time just isn't magical. Yes. Another thing that you touched on there, which is so huge, which 
I've also heard in life is this notion, you know, I always say like overworking is the trauma response. It's not only like accepted, it's almost like celebrated and put on us. And that's why so many of us are overworking and are inefficient with our time is because it's almost easier than creating space. Yeah. I mean, we think it is right. It it actually isn't. And you and I know that, but it's really under, really easy to understand why people in that position think that it is. I've had actually a lot of clients come to me at that point where they know, like I'm thinking of one client in particular who she had, her husband died of a brain cancer and she'd planned this big event for him. It's very rare cancer. She planned this big event for him and she could just feel that that event was coming to an end. Right. But she had busied herself and distracted herself from everything she was feeling and just put all hands on deck to this, this charity fundraiser. And she knew as soon as that fundraiser was over that she didn't, she didn't have anything to distract herself with. And, you know, kudos to her for realizing there's there's something I need to deal with here because I can only distract myself for so long. Right. That's it. It's kind of like, you can distract yourself and it's kind I see it kind of like, even like a sugar addiction. Like maybe at first it's like a piece of chocolate. And then the next time it's two pieces of chocolate and the next time you need three pieces of chocolate and like what you need, how busy you need to be gets yeah. more and more. It's like, you can't just have a bit of space. And that's how we can end up with like the habit, the habit of like 17 tabs, two phones, the TV yeah. on, music on, like all kinds of things going on because it's like that the brain really needs and craves the space to process and it's looking for it. And, and it's like kind of fighting with you back. Mm-hmm. So- Yeah. And then everybody's praising you for it too. In this like, you know, production valued society, everybody's thinking, oh, she's doing so good with her grief, right? Look at her. She's out there traveling. She's out there dating again. She's out there, you know, doing X, Y, Z, but maybe not from a place that feels good for her. But on the outside, people are like, oh, well done you. Right. Because we value what we can produce or consume in society over how we feel or just it's like the human doing versus human being. We like value human doers when at, at this time it's clearer than ever that it's like about being human instead of doing human. Um, yeah. And that's one of the things that even we spoke about. So I knew, for example, that like, okay, I'm just going to like cancel everything for me the week after. Like that's like a given. And then the second week I was like, okay, well, like I'll keep it light. But, you know, I already only work 15 hours a week max and you know, like I already have it really lucky. I already, like, I started to talk myself out of, um, of like allowing myself to just check in with what I was available for based off of like what I thought I should. Or mm. should do. Um, and we spoke about this, even like, you know, the hierarchy of like, what, what am I, um, I recently hired someone on my team and she was saying they get three days of bereavement um leave at work but there's like certain relationships on there and certain aren't and it's this whole idea of like again overly quantifying our human experience versus like allowing your experience so can you talk to that a little bit yeah so because the last thing I want people to hear is well you've got to do the work of grief and that's all you should do because you know like think about your loss feel all your feelings do all the work there in in the study of grief there was a long period of time where people were pretty obsessed with what what we would call grief work, meaning, you know, look at the loss, examine the loss, think about the loss, um, feel the feelings of the loss, do, do loss related things. And that's the way you get through grief. And so of course, again, 
you know, it feeds right back into what you're so great about teaching in terms of where we put our value, right. About being productive. So naturally it makes sense that it would extend into grief theory too. But what I love is what's called the dual process model of grief. Believe it or not, there's more than the five stages of grief. Most people don't seem to know this because it's the only one we talk about, but one of the grief theories that I love dual process model and the dual process model teaches this beautiful, natural balance, which is so, so available for us. And basically it divides activities into two buckets, essentially the work of grief. So grief related things, thinking about your loss, dealing with the, the paperwork related to the loss, feeling your feelings, loss related things. And the other bucket is restorative non-loss related respite. So not thinking about the loss, hobbies, living life, laughing, having fun, like doing Netflix binges, like anything unrelated to the loss. And what's this theory proposes, and I, I have seen very accurately turns out works, is that the balance of going back and forth back and forth from the grief related work to the restorative work back and forth, back and forth. And I don't even want to use the word work. Maybe bucket would be better, but back and forth. It's the oscillation that makes space for the healing. Mm -hmm. So we really don't want to say, well, I must take off work only to focus on my grief, right? What we really want to say is it's okay for me to be a human on the planet. And sometimes that means I'm going to be thinking about my grief and feeling feelings. And I don't need to avoid that. And also sometimes I'm going to be distracting myself. I'm going to be doing other things. And that doesn't mean I didn't love them. That doesn't mean I didn't care. That doesn't mean I'm avoiding my grief. That just means I am allowing myself to go back and forth in the natural way and creating the space for healing back and forth, back and forth. Yes. And it's so beautiful because I think it's really similar to what I speak about here with like sprints and rests, right? It's part of time hacking, like, and the idea that we've inherited that we can only achieve things by doing that, by focusing on that thing. And it's just not true across any area. And I think around grief for sure, it's like that constant guilt of like, well, guilt that I am grieving and not working or being productive outside of grief or grief or guilt that I am you know, not grieving and I am living life outside of it. And what Chris has just given everyone, I just really want to make it so clear is like, none of it is wrong. <laughs> none of it requires guilt. It's all part of the healing process. Like there's nothing that you can do that's going to take away from you grieving or, your, or you healing or you experiencing grief. Like there's no like either or bucket. It's like, it's all working together, all parts of you, um, just like resting and resting. And yeah. Totally okay to take a break. Doesn't, doesn't advise, right? Let, let yourself live life. It, and, and there's no pressure that we need to put on ourselves to get somewhere or, yeah. you know, be somewhere in a certain amount of time. I think it, part of also what underlies that is this myth that there is an end point mm -hmm. to grief. And I think that's worth mentioning too, because if we think there's somewhere we're supposed to get, then of course it makes sense that we would try to get there. But really grief is, and we use words like journey and, you know, it, we create this idea that there is some sort of an end point and, you know, your job at stages, right. Where we're going to get there and then we're going to be done. But that isn't, that isn't how grief is, right. It, grief does not end. It's the natural human response to a perceived loss the loss, we can't change time. The loss will always have happened. So we are integrating 
what has happened into the fabric of our life. We're moving from the way we think about it unintentionally to thinking about it with intention. Mm. But that doesn't mean it's over. And that doesn't mean we're not going to occasionally have the grief grenade, or we're not going to sometimes feel sad or, you know, have some emotion around it. It's, it's a, such an easier experience if we just decide, okay, this happened. And now my job is just, I'm just going to decide who I want to be given that it has happened. I'm going to decide what I want to make it mean, but there's no place for me to go. It's not going to be over. I'm not going to move on. I'm, I'm just going to move forward with I wish I had known that because I really thought, okay, being the A player that I was, I just got to follow the stages and then I'm going to get to the other side as though that's a place. Yes. It's not a place. It's not a place. And I see that also so often when it comes to like any goal, unfortunately, it's like, oh, once Mm -hmm. you achieve this, then you, all those things about you that you don't like or that you've been rejected won't come. It's like, you know, the more goals you achieve, the more you're like, ah, this part of me is coming like mm-hmm. yeah yeah you also just dropped the grief grenade so could you speak oh. a little bit to that because I know mm-hmm. that is, but I don't know that my listeners will yeah grief grenade is it's, it's a term that I'm made up a lot of people say say it in different ways grief bomb grief um to me it's just a sudden and unexpected reminder of of the loss that causes an intense emotion so maybe that could be <clears throat> a smell. Maybe that could be, you know, something that you haven't seen. Like, uh, my partner and I went to Las Vegas and, um, my, my last, like, you know, one of the visions of the, the accident that I have had to do with the silver Toyota Camry that I drove and Hugo in the trunk of that car and who pulls up at the, you know, the Uber station, but a silver Toyota Camry with the exact same fin. And where do I have to get my luggage exactly out of that trunk? Right. So I totally wasn't expecting anything related to my grief on that trip. And then whoosh, I'm, I'm right back there. So it's just a moment that you find yourself, you know, with an intense emotion and it's an opportunity to either tell yourself you've done something wrong and that you should be somewhere else other, you know, in your grief or to comfort yourself and let yourself allow the feeling to flow through. Okay. And I even don't want to skim over that past part. Like it's an opportunity to either shame yourself, reject yourself in some way or to love on yourself. Yeah. 100%, right? Because people have this myth. If if there's supposed to be somewhere that we get in grief, then the idea of regression is a thing. Yes. Right? So then of course, when we have some unexpected emotion and we've created some rules around where we're supposed to be, then we use that against ourselves and tell ourselves, oh, I'm regressing, you know, or something's wrong with me, or I'm weak, or, you know, I, I should be, I should be further along by now. And all of it is, is nonsense. Mm-hmm. because there's nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Emotion is always going to be part of the experience. And sometimes it's going to catch us off guard. So we can either be kind to ourselves about it and figure out how to, to like surf the waves or, you know, use it as an opportunity to make ourselves wrong and bad. Yeah. And also as you're speaking, I'm like, and also do, would you really choose to like, never think about that person again, to never experience connection to that person again? Like, is that really what we want when it comes to grief or is it like however it can't you know like it's connecting us yeah I mean I think for me I sometimes when people come into a coaching container and they learn that their thoughts cause their feelings Mm -hmm. they 
misunderstand the intention and think that the goal is to just think happy thoughts all the time, right? I'm sure you see this too. And that happens a lot with grief where people think, well, okay, I'm not supposed to think things that make me sad, or I'm not supposed to think things that make me feel quote unquote negative emotion, but it's not true at all. It's really more about, like, I wouldn't want somebody to take away my missing him. I, I wouldn't want to be happy that it happened. Now, some people might, and that's for them to decide, but that's not what I want. I want to be, I want to acknowledge that it sucked and I hated it and I wish it hadn't happened. And I'm still going to love my life. I'm still going to live my life. Right. So to me, it's the, and it's, it's not about uh, trying to talk yourself out of negative emotion at all. Why would we want to do that? Yes, exactly. And even as you were speaking, like, I think oftentimes it's like binary. And I see this a lot with my clients where it's like, I either fail or I succeed. So if I succeed, I must succeed all the time. So if I like got to that destination, that made up destination, where apparently I get to be happy all the time, and then I experience one moment of sadness, then it means that I must always be sad because I'm not always happy. And so like, I'm always failing if I'm not always succeeding. It's like the same mechanism. Yeah. And I don't see that that's like, what I see is when we don't have the capacity to allow ourselves to experience intense negative emotion, and I'm using that in air quotes, because that's just something we made up, right? But like us, emotions that we call negative, when we don't have the capacity or the skill set to allow those emotions, especially in grief, then we start trying to do everything we can to avoid those negative emotions which also means that we're probably going to stop taking new risks and stop trying new things because that could also cause an intense emotion, which means that now we're, yes, maybe we're experiencing less intense negative emotion, but also we're giving ourselves fewer opportunities to experience less of the positive stuff, what we do want, right? The joy and the pride and the, um, you know, the newness. And so what I see over time is this shrinking. So instead of being able to experience the highs and the lows in effort to get away from the lows. We also get away from the highs and we end up in this mid zone. Like I call it the stagnation zone. And it makes sense why we got there because nobody ever taught us that feelings weren't problems and we don't really have the coping skills to allow them to pass through. So it makes sense why we got there. And also that is the mediocre life that after a significant loss, Sometimes people just call their new normal. Like they think that's good. They think it because it's better than the acute grief and the, the intense, you know, experience that we have in acute grief. It feels better than that, but it's, it's not great, right? It's just mediocre, meh, blah. And, and then we go, well, I guess this is the new normal that they talk about. And then I guess this is what my life is going to be. And that is just to me, that's a, a crying shame. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, we talked to everyone a little bit about post-traumatic growth. Mm, yes. I remember the first time I heard it, it was like, like the record scratches and you're like, wait, what did they just say? Post-traumatic what? So post-traumatic growth is a phrase that was coined in the mid nineties by a couple of researchers, Tadeshi and Calhoun or their last names. And they happened to be noticing in part, they were studying widows, interestingly enough, but they were noticing that some widows were less happy or less, we'll say less satisfied with life than before their loss. Some widows had kind of returned to that baseline of satisfaction with life that they were experiencing before the loss. And then this third group was actually reporting greater levels of life satisfaction after the loss and not in spite of it, but because of it. 
They had actually used what had happened to them to inform the way that they were living their lives so that they lived lives that were more aligned with what they value. So they were actually loving life even more. And this is it completely reframed what we thought was possible after a quote unquote traumatic event, because before we thought, well, you're either going to, your wellness is going to lower. Maybe you can bounce back to where you were, but this whole idea of bouncing forward was not in our lexicon and the, and their work created that. I like to compare it to like a tornado because a lot of people will think, well, it's wrong for me to, to grow from my loss. Like that it feels uncomfortable. It feels icky. I, I feel guilty about it. It doesn't seem right. It's, it's kind of um, not appealing to them. And the way I think about it, this is because I'm from Kansas, probably because we have lots of tornadoes, but is that it's like, if a tornado comes and knocks down your house, you don't have a choice that the tornado came and knocked down your house, right? And now you have nowhere to live. So you have some choices to make. If you want, you can ask someone to rebuild you the exact same house that you had as close as possible, right? You can do that. Not good, not bad, not right, not wrong. It's just a choice you can make. And also, if you've lived there for a given amount of time, which you have, right, you've probably learned some things about what you might like different, right? Maybe you want more light in your living room. Maybe you want a different layout in your kitchen. Maybe you want to downsize. Maybe you want, who knows what you want. But when you take into account what you've learned and you use the opportunity to redesign what, what you want, right, that is post-traumatic growth. And redesigning that does not mean you didn't love your old house. It doesn't mean your old house wasn't wonderful. It just means that we're always learning. And why wouldn't we, we always be taking what we learn and using it to inform the choices that we make? So like for me, I went, wait a minute, do I want to be in this job anymore? I don't think I do. I don't think I like this, right? This is, it's not bad. It's not terrible. Kudos to all the people who still work there, but Hugo loved aviation and we both worked together. I didn't, it wasn't my thing, right? So post-traumatic growth for me was saying, okay, if, if life is this short, I'm going to do something that means something to me. I'm going to, I'm going to go figure that part out and, and many other things too, but it's, it's spiritual connections. It's deepening relationships. It's, you know, um, how you spend your time. It's, do you value your life? What, what is the quality of your life? Like it's using what has happened to you to inform choices that you make. So your life is even more aligned with what you value and, and that's available to everybody. And why, why wouldn't we? So good. I do, I do want to say for anyone that's listening, if you've experienced grief and you've not, I think like if you've not heard that concept or that idea before, you've not done anything wrong by not doing this. Um, but yeah, I think it's just. And it it's not a morally superior option yes. to grow from your grief. Yes. You are not better or more worthy or worse if you don't, right? It is just an option. And I will tell you at a certain point in my grief, it was a, a really unappealing option. I kind of wanted to punch anyone who might suggest that I would grow from my grief. Yes. Right. At, at a certain point though, I went, oh, okay. It's not a should. I don't have to do anything. Yes. It's if I want to see it as an opportunity, that is the choice I get to make. Yes. And that's so it's, it's an empowering thing. 
Yes. And that's almost what I would recommend to people about this podcast episode is you might want to re-listen to it a few times, depending on where you are at in your grief story. Mm, yeah. Um, because you will take something different from it. The reason why I'm asking her these questions and getting her to share the brilliance, um, even though this is like an introductory podcast to her work, and obviously we'll send you to her podcast for more details. But the reason why I'm going there is because we have her on the podcast and I do want her to share some of the big learnings um and it's totally okay for you to take from this episode one thing that feels applicable for you right now um, and helpful for you right now and come back and listen to it again and take something else and if there's parts of it now that you're like I am not ready for that then that's also totally okay it doesn't mean you're not ready for anything on this podcast so yeah I get a little excited about <laughs> <laughs> well if people Chris, ask me questions I'll give them all the things yeah, yeah I totally think, I but, but also I even think like when we did the intro to this episode today as you and you speak so clearly and um so beautifully about what happened with like a really like like even tone and and I think for a lot of people on this podcast completely new to potentially grief work it could be like wait what did she just say I mean if yeah. you don't mind I even want to speak to um when I first met Krista um 2017 coach certification um in person and I remember that you raised your hand to get coaching on your niche which at the time was going to be like newlyweds um but you mentioned the story with Hugo and you did so very like matter of fact that you did here and the the instructor I remember I remember like when you said the story, there was almost like a reaction in the room that wasn't listening to your question. And it was so busy in the story of like, oh my gosh. And, and the coaching that you wanted was, was around like your niche and what to focus on in your business, but everyone got like distracted by the story. Yeah. I didn't even end up getting the coaching because the instructor ended up using it as an example of how not to like, how to really pay attention to what someone is asking for coaching on. Yes. And not just get distracted by the story. Yeah. And I think that's probably hard for a lot of people experiencing grief is wanting to talk about it or mention it, but not wanting to have it be the conversation. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And, and that's why, that's why people say things to try to make us feel better. That feels so dismissive. Yeah. Right. That's why they say, oh, they're in a better place or don't worry, you're young or they wouldn't want you to be sad. Right. When we don't have the capacity to allow other people to be uncomfortable in our presence, we try to say things that make them comfortable. And also when we don't have the capacity for ourselves to be uncomfortable in their presence, we try to say things to make ourselves feel comfortable. And like we just have to level the humans for being like that. There's no like bad. There's not it's not coming from. A, a consciously bad place it's coming from a survival place and our brain yeah. just being like how do we create safety right now and yeah there's a way to do that yeah totally yeah um is there anything else around grief that you would like to share with people given it like might be their first introduction to even the idea that there is grief work yeah just you know feelings aren't problems to solve. I know this lines up with what you teach too, because most people have only heard of the five stages of grief. They do tend to think that they're supposed to be, okay, first I'm supposed to be in denial and then I'm supposed to be angry and then I'm supposed to bargain and then, you know, get depressed and then I'll come to acceptance. And so that's what we tend to have learned about grief. 
I always like to make sure people know that was a study of hospice patients. That work was originally done based on people who were coming to terms with their own mortality and a terminal diagnosis. It was not ever really intended to be a comprehensive painting of what it looks like to be in grief. Um, it is one of many grief theories and truly it is such a unique experience and all emotions can be a part of it. So if we, if we know that that is the case, there is no end, all emotions can be part of it. It is not linear. Um, and feelings aren't problems to solve. They're really just experiences to allow then grief gets a, a lot easier in, mm-hmm. in my book. Mm. Yeah. What you're speaking to is almost like the mass marketization of grief. <sighs> we speak on this podcast about the mass marketization of time, which is like, it's never going to be one size fits all. And if your if your experience doesn't look like the most common one out there, then it's not you. It's literally like the most common one out there was a study done, you know. Yeah. yeah. And and so then people are like they just everybody wants to do it right, but there is no such thing. Right. However you do it is how is however however it is. It it's not right or wrong or good or bad. It's just unique to the individual. And so if we stop putting so much pressure on ourselves because of where we tell ourselves we think we're supposed to be or what it means about us if we feel particular ways, then we can just be human, right? And and let it happen. And it's such an easier experience without all that added and unnecessary pressure. Yeah. And what, since since we, we do often speak about work on this podcast and time and how we use it, um, what would you say to people that are like maybe employed and feel like they don't or they don't have the space to mm-hmm. have the experience they don't have the freedom maybe like me I can just cancel my weeks if I want and they're like I'm not, I don't have that option like what can mm-hmm. I do I don't have time for my grief what would you say yeah I would say you're your own advocate you have to be mm-hmm. and and think about different ways that you can advocate for yourself. Sometimes it's literally as simple as excusing yourself from a meeting and going to the restroom. I am a huge proponent of emotional freedom technique tapping. Just a a few minutes of tapping in the bathroom, right? Can help you process a feeling, can kind of get you get your nervous system kind of settled for you and, and supportive. So it doesn't have to take a huge amount of time, but also how you feel matters. And so can you advocate for yourself in such a way with whoever the powers are that be in your, your world that says, Hey, like today I need a day or I need an hour or I need, you know, this is what I need. Chances are very high in my experience that people probably really value the contribution that you're making, you know, even if you're not self-employed and they want to help you, but often they don't know what you need either. And so sometimes we have to advocate for ourselves and tell them, um, at least the best we can. Also, sometimes we don't know what we need. So that's okay too. But like, hey, this is a rough day for me. Here's where I am. I just want you to know. And, and that can go such a long way. And that and also that may extend over a long period of time. And you might have, you know, a period of what feels like a long time where you're quote unquote doing great. And then all of a sudden you're not. And that doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. You still want to advocate for yourself and be honest about what's going on for you right? People are like, well, the six months is over. I can't do that anymore. Or I'm past the first year. So now my grief isn't relevant. It's, it's, it's nonsense. Yes, totally. I will, I'll say two things on that. As a firstly, I think the biggest obstacle that you have to advocating for yourself 
is advocating for yourself internally mm-hmm. and allow, allowing that for yourself when you're like I should be further along I should you know like what Krista was saying it is the six months I should be able to do this work my neighbor's cousin's dog was able to do the work like comparing ourselves to other people's timelines and other people's stories and journeys even though we actually never ever know other people's yep. stories so I think if you are listening and you're like well I couldn't I just want you to check in with if it's like because you don't believe that you are worth it and that like first right like I would really check there and the second thing that Krista touched on um which is like there's no timeline there's no like limit there's no because what I want everyone to really consider and really to drop into is like us taking care of ourselves, us communicating our needs, us creating the space that we need, us resting when we need to, us grieving when we want to, all of these things are actually aligned with long-term corporate goals, long-term team goals, long-term family goals and relationship goals and all of this stuff. It's like, we're all on the same team. And it's like what Chris is saying, like the and versus like me versus you, me versus my boss, me versus my partner, me versus whoever I'm putting up there is like the decider or the person I'm going to let down in air quotes um by me doing what I need right now I think if we all advocated for our own needs like everybody actually wins that's how you create even within a company like em- employee loyalty and higher creativity and all, all of that stuff and sometimes advocating for what you need means talking about your person at work Yes. Because a lot of times coworkers, again, they think feelings are problems. They don't want to upset you. They are walking on eggshells, handling you with kid gloves. They are afraid that the the thoughts that go through our mind are like, well, they're probably not thinking about it. So I don't want to remind them. Yes. And sometimes, even though I hate that the burden is on us, sometimes it actually does help to bring up stories about your person. Yes. Like to, to be the one who talks about them because then other people will take you know, your example and run with it and realize, oh, it is okay. If you want, right. Maybe you don't, but you know, Hugo and I worked together. So when I went back to work, it was a weird thing because other people were grieving too. And also they didn't want to upset me. And so I would just bring him up in stories, you know, in times that made sense, like something that he would have laughed about, or, you know, we can tell a Hugo joke. And then because I did that, then other people got the hint that, oh, she wants to talk about him. Mm-hmm. So we kind of have to teach our coworkers sometimes what's working for us. Mm, yeah. And not just our coworkers. I feel like all the, all the people all the time. Yeah. Um, amazing. So, so powerful and helpful. And you're so brilliant. Um, let the people know how they can continue to learn magic from you. <laughs> magic, it's grief, magic. magic. Well, I am also a podcaster. So the widowed mom podcast, I realize that sounds really niched, but if you're interested in grief or post-traumatic growth, people listen all the time that aren't widows or moms. So the widowed mom podcast. And then also if you are in a place where, um, you're feeling a little stuck, I have a quiz that you can take that will give you some free resources and you can find it at coachingwithkrista.com forward slash grief plateau quiz. A lot of people get stuck in this grief plateau place and they don't even realize that they're stuck there. And sadly, they again, resign themselves to that place. Um, So I want to make more people aware of that. So coachingwithkrista.com forward slash grief plateau quiz, two minutes, and you will know if that's what you're going through and what to do about it. Yes, and we will have all those links in the show notes so that you can find them super easy. Um, yeah, thank you so much for your time and brilliance and expertise. And I think you've given 
lots for everyone to think about. And like I said, if you've listened and felt triggered in any way, that's totally okay. Like you're totally available to like shove 90% of this podcast to the side and just take the one thing that you're like, actually this one thing um, might help me and come back and listen again. That's how I would um, treat this podcast. That's how I will treat this podcast um, as well as obviously tuning into Christmas. So thank you so much. Um, You're brilliant and I appreciate you. Thanks for being willing to talk about grief. Not a lot of people are. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's like what you said about bringing names up. It's like, and I will say this to everyone to, to end on this note, like you never have to like, like let other people feel uncomfortable. This is how we create change. This is one thing that I feel like you're always reminding me of. I almost didn't email my list or I was trying to like gauge how, how I should, uh, what I should or shouldn't do in this situation and one of the things that you said to me was which always motivates me is like what's the example you want to be in the world in terms of speaking about this and this is exactly it opening up these conversations providing more platforms to these types of conversations and just like introducing people to these ideas that can I, I think honestly save your life yeah I do I do too yeah you know what I would love to leave people with is like your grief is valid whatever the grief experience is, you know, I see it, I'm working with people who have lost a a partner, but all grief is valid. It's not just losing someone you care about. It's not just losing your primary relationship, right? It can be losing a distant relative. It can be like literally a celebrity. It it can be a dream that you thought that was going to happen and doesn't, right? How you respond to something you valued that you lost is valid. And, And we need to stop making these grief comparisons that, you know, my grief isn't valid because they have it worse than me. It's so dismissive and it doesn't help us. So it's, it's valid, whatever it is, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be, you know, spousal loss or even death. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, thank you so much. And thanks everybody for listening. We'll leave the links to connect with Krista and listen to our podcast in the show notes. Bye. Hey, if you want to get five hours a week back minimum for life, then I want to invite you to join Time Hackers. It's this podcast on speed where you'll get access to time hacking tools not shared on the podcast. You'll get access to my proven process for hacking your time to get five hours back every week at least. It's also my favorite place to hang out and will be yours too as you connect with other time hackers where you'll get celebrated, supported and coached of course. You are a time hacker. This is where you belong. Head to vickilouise.com forward slash group. I can't wait to see you there.